Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to be a pretty literal and pragmatic thinker. (laughs) That's my dad. Uh, And that's always been the case. And so, appropriately, let me share a story that my dad shared just the other day. So, I was a kid. And uh, maybe seven, eight years old, we had some people over at our house for a Super Bowl party or something. Doesn't really matter. (laughs) And um, I say, hey, mom, I'm going to go in the kitchen and get myself a drink. And she says, hey, Dustin, if you're going to go and get yourself a drink, will you get me one too? And I said, sure, mom, absolutely. And some time passes, and she's still empty-handed, and she thinks, well, maybe he forgot, or maybe he just disobeyed. And she said, Dustin, didn't I ask you to get a drink? And I said, well, Mom, you, you said if I was going to get myself a drink that you, to get you one, too. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Uh, praise, praise God for her grace and patience, right? You see, I understood what she was saying, um, but I, I, I didn't do what she, she meant. I, I didn't respond to her request. I, I technically didn't disobey, but I missed the point. John doesn't want us to miss the point here. John's being very, very clear because he understands that when he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, love is imperative. People need to understand what's going on. So kids, kids in the room, you're back in school, right? You seem really excited by that. I know, I know, I know. So it's a weekend off, but I'm going to ask you to help me with something anyway. So... Kids, what does John say that we're supposed to do? Ready? There you have it. There you have it. Kids, you're now officially smarter than me when I was a kid. Parents, you should be proud. My daughter's taking too much pride in that moment. (laughs) Love one another. It's about as simple a statement as, as we can get, and it's a command that comes directly from Jesus back in John's gospel. Now again, in his, in his letter, in chapters 2 and 3, John has already told us that, that, that he's not covering new ground here. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that just about anybody anywhere is going to agree that loving others is a good idea. It's not controversial. It's not exclusive. In fact, love one another is about as inclusive a statement as anyone could make. People don't reject Jesus or his church because they disagree with the command to love one another. People reject Jesus and his church because they haven't experienced his love through it. Let me say that again. People reject Jesus and his church because they haven't experienced his love through it. Through you and through me. This is exactly what John is getting at, and it's why he spends the next 14 verses explaining what he means. He knows there are folks in the church who are going to take this command and do exactly what I did in response to my mom. If you're not sure who I'm talking to today, I encourage you to go ahead and take out your cell phone, open your camera app, flip that orientation, and snap a selfie. This applies to every single one of us. Whether we intend to or not, we redefine God's command on our terms. Sure. We'll love one another, but we're going to do so in the way that that we feel best. 
we are going to define what love means. That's the problem, right? What did we say before? People reject Jesus in this church because they haven't experienced his love. They only know about ours. When we began this series a few weeks ago, we asked ourselves the question, how do we know we're getting Christianity right? Today, I want to continue that conversation and ask ourselves, how do we know we're getting love right? How do we know that our love is real? How do we know we are loving one another? The answer is the same as it was when we kicked off our study. We start with Jesus, and that's our first point. Love starts with Jesus. Let's read verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Down to verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Finally, maybe most emphatically, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Sidebar, you know what's so great about preaching the Bible? You don't have to agree with or think anything that I say is all that important. You have to listen because it's the word of God. It's pretty great. Sidebar over. So what is it that distinguishes our love as Christians from the love of the world around us? What is it that makes our love real? We just said it. We understand that love starts with Jesus, right? While it may feel like it's only been the last few years, prevailing culture has been on a mission to define or maybe redefine love from the very beginning. Think about it. Well, mention of the word love today comes with personal and commercial and often political agendas. It's always been a subject that's fascinated humanity. When archaeologists discovered the oldest written record of of poetry that's written 4,000 years ago, can you guess what the subject was? It's love. It's not politics. What do we find as a common thread in the most lauded records of human language from Billy the Bard? That's Shakespeare, for those of you who are a little slow on that. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, The Beatles, Bono, Boys to Men, Beyonce, Bieber, BTS. That's for you, baby girl. (laughs) I know it's a weird list, but love is everywhere in it. And as wonderful as many expressions may be, every mention thereof starts with the people who are experiencing it. Love is what they're feeling. It's what what they're walking through. It's what they know because they're overwhelmed by its abundance or its Or it's lack thereof. People fight for it. They lie for it. They kill for it. They die for it. But love, John says, was there from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God was, and is, and always will be love. Before all of the other stuff, God, in love, created the world and humanity that would inhabit it to experience the fellowship of his love. When we screwed it up, 
We screwed up that relationship and, and we became consumed in our hearts and our minds and our behavior by sin. Verse 10 says, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Quick theology lesson. I know we mentioned this in week one, but we've all slept since then. So I'm going to mention it again. What does propitiation mean? Coming from the Greek word halosmos, propitiation means atoning sacrifice. But what it also kind of conveys is this sense of a removal of guilt from sin. Basically, God sent his son. Kids, who's God's son? Oh, we got to do better than that. Okay, well, let's try again. We're going to try again. Kids, who is God's son? Jesus. There we go. That was not a good commercial for our kids' ministry for just a moment there. <laughs> I did not lead them. Sorry, Lori. <laughs> Nonetheless, God sent his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice who would also remove our guilt from sin. Not only did his sinless death expunge our record, it also relieved us of our guilt. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to mess up. Every single one of us knows the weight of guilt, especially when that mistake impacts the people you care about most. But when Jesus dies on the cross, he erased that mistake and said, you don't have to carry that anymore. Jesus took it. Where we all started with sin, he started with love. Some of you may have come in today feeling like you're bearing the weight of the world because you messed up and you can't forgive yourself for it. You've hurt too many people, or maybe you've hurt the right people, or maybe you just hurt the right person too deeply. Propitiation means that Jesus died not only to forgive you for that mistake, but to relieve you of the guilt that has been beating you down ever since. That is love. Any other definition is at best an aberration and an approximation of the real thing. Hear me, church. You will find definitions of love everywhere that you look, and you don't have to look much. But any definition of love that starts with humanity instead of with Jesus is false. And it has to be treated as such. Look with me again, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we have loved God. Maybe I should ask it this way. Who created who? When we assert our definition of love outside of Jesus, we're saying that we start with what we think instead of what he's done, we're claiming that we know what God himself does not. John warns us about this in, this in, 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 in 1 John chapter 1. Love has to start with Jesus. That's our first point. Our second point is this. Love looks like self-sacrifice. I'm going to try something for a minute. So a lot of commentators will argue that in every instance in which the passage reads, God is love, the translation may better be understood as saying God is loving. Take a look with me. We're going to try this. In verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is loving. Again, in verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is loving. 
Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Love isn't just to fill in the blank descriptor here. It's not the same thing as saying God is tall. Imagine that for a minute. We're going to rethink the passage that way. Anyone who isn't tall doesn't know God because God is tall. All the short people are really mad at me right now. And they should be. Tall is subjective. Love is not. So maybe, maybe we should use a word that connotes action. And so we could say, anyone who isn't loud doesn't know God because God is loud. It sounds absurd, right? And it is. But stay with me. You, you can't be loud without doing something to be loud any more than you can be loving without doing something that demonstrates love. But even loud doesn't really get us there because the word, like the word tall, loud is subjective. Love is not. You see my point? Love requires evidence of action. Love demands proof. And the proof of God's love is in the very purpose for which he came to earth. Let's look back again at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Pay close attention, because verses 9 and 10 are the hinge point of this whole book. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John is saying, this, this is what love is. This, this is what it means to say that God is loving. This kind of selflessness, this sacrifice for sinners. This is the foundation for anything and everything we will ever understand about love. This is the gospel. You see, it's one thing for John to say that God is love. Love's his eternal nature. And it's who he is and how we might describe him in the same way that we might say that God is gracious or God is just or God is merciful. And I don't know about you, but trying to nail down and understand the eternal nature of God in any aspect seems next to impossible, right? John's helping us to understand that while God's eternal nature may be abstract, his historical gift in Jesus is not. His eternal nature may be abstract, but his eternal nature, or sorry, his eternal nature may be abstract, but his historical gift in Jesus is not. The cross is concrete. The cross is proof of God's eternal nature, and you will never experience the fullness of God's love in Jesus Christ apart from the cross upon which he laid down his life. You want to understand love in action? Look to the cross. You want to recognize love as we are to share it with others. Look to the cross. You want proof that the love of Jesus is selfless and complete and open to everyone? Look to the cross. God sent his son, his son, more valuable to him than anything he's ever created. God sent his son to die on a cross that would bear the weight of all of humanity, 
God sent his son to die for sinners who might never understand, much less reciprocate the love he offered us for free. This is love. John's already told us so. Look back at chapter 3, verse 16. Sidebar, if you haven't noticed already, three sixteens are a really big deal for John. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. No pressure, y'all. Love isn't a passive endeavor. For love to be loved, it needs to start with Jesus. It needs to look like self-sacrifice. It sets a tone and demands the same from each and every one of us. And that brings us to our third point. Love leads to love. Now to me that sounds a little bit clunky, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but it gets right at the point. When you know love, and I mean you know it, and I use this example. So I see my buddy Pedro here. Um, so I, I love national parks. Love, 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 love national parks. I could live in them all the time in a tent somewhere, but my kids would be miserable. So we're not going to do that. Um, but you can talk about how beautiful these things are. You can say, oh my goodness, you have to go here. It is amazing. It's amazing. I can show you pictures. I can show you video. But until you go there for yourself, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. You don't know. And so I, I remember we, we just went on a trip a few months ago. And we went to Yosemite. And as you come out of this tunnel, you see the valley in like all of the splendor. And you're like, oh my gosh, God, whoa. Like this is a big moment. And like immediately he's calling his wife as soon as we have cell phone service, which you don't because it's a national park and that's a whole thing. Um, but he's just like, you have to be here. You have to see this. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because words don't do it justice. Love's the same thing. When you know love, and I mean that you know love, you've experienced it. You've come face to face with it, and you know your life will never be the same because it's too wonderful. It's too consuming. It's too overwhelming. You will show it. In fact, you showing it is the very proof that you've experienced it for yourself. In the same way that the cross serves as the proof of God's eternal nature, your self-sacrificing love for others is proof of that eternal nature within you. Look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 16 reminds us of where we've already been, but it takes us a step further. Why do we know and believe God's love? Because it started with him. It's his eternal nature. And he proved it through self-sacrifice on the cross. But when we come to grips with that, his love will consume us. It becomes a part of everything that we do. It's the very mark that God abides in us. So rather than bearing the burden of sin and guilt, his sacrifice frees us to be filled with his abiding presence and the fullness of his love. It exchanges our character for his not only may we now stand blameless before God by the blood of Jesus, but we can also love like him too. What's even better is that God's abiding in us means that our capacity to love isn't relative to our effort. 
Here's what I mean. How many of you have ever struggled to love somebody? No one? Oh, y'all are a bunch of liars. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Now, how many of you have ever struggled to love somebody difficult? Yes, exactly. Now, 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 how many of you have ever still struggled to love somebody who was difficult when you tried really, 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 really hard? You're still struggling, right? Because trying hard's not the answer. It's, it's part of the problem. When you're trying harder, whose definition of love are you leaning into? Ours, right? Part of the problem is that we can't help but expect our love and our efforts to express it to be reciprocated. We want back what we give up. But Jesus already showed us that's not what love is. Love isn't quid pro quo. Love isn't give and take. Love isn't you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. C.H. Dodd says it this way. He says, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value to our own life to enrich the life of another. The only way for us to do that effectively is to look to the cross and come to a deeper understanding of what Jesus has already done and the way that he has already loved us. We can only willingly give up those things that are valuable to us for others because we've already received something we didn't deserve and can never repay. Let me say that again. This is important. We can only give up those things that are valuable to us for others because we've already received something we didn't deserve and can never repay. Love is not about our effort. It's the very nature of God who abides in us. Y'all ready for the good part? I know it's all good. Um, It's the gospel. The Holy Spirit is at work. But John saves the best for last. You ready? Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. As he is, also are we. His nature is our nature. Because we abide in him and he in us. Let's continue. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We've been talking all day about the thing that distinguishes real love from whatever it is that people might claim. Real love's transformational. When you start with Jesus, you recognize his self-sacrifice on the cross, and you embrace it for yourself, you will not be able to help but see others the way that God sees you. As one who is loved and redeemed and restored and set free, you gain the confidence to stand before God himself on the day of judgment without a shred of fear. That's not normal. How many of you are excited to tell somebody when you mess up? Right? Mm. I mean, like, I'm not talking about, like, a stranger, like, a cop pulls you over, and you're like, oh, cool, like, hey, how fast were you going? Oh, I don't know, sir, um, the speed limit, probably. Um, I'm, t- I'm talking about people that you know, that you care about. I mean, what if it's your boss? You excited to come before your boss and say, hey, I messed up in a really, really big way? Probably not. What if it's your spouse? 
I mean, parents, what if it's your kids? Kids, are you excited to tell your parents when you mess up? No. Why? I know we don't have confessional booths here at Legacy, but when you mess up, how excited are you to tell your pastor? So in the first week, Kevin set up an email address for dogs at LegacyChurch.org. This week, I wanted to do the same, and so I set up confessions at LegacyChurch.org. You can write out all of your sins in grave detail, send them to us, we'll send them on an email list to the whole church. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yay, no, no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. For the record, I'm kidding. That's not who we are, that's not what we're about. The point is, messing up comes with guilt, it comes with shame, it comes with fear of punishment. But real love changes that. Remember that big fancy theological word we used a few minutes ago? Propitiation. It means that the cross, a.k.a. love, atoned for our sin and freed us of our guilt. We don't have to fear punishment before God because it's already been paid for. It's done. It's finished. It's over with. Love took care of it. When God looks at us, he doesn't see sinners. John said it back in his first chapter. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We are transformed. We don't just know what love feels like. Jesus showed us what it looks like to love others. So we might do the same. In the same way, love can't start with us. It can't stop with us either. That's why John gives us that initial command to love one another, verse 7, and repeats himself again in verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love leads to love. Better yet, God's love for us leads us to love others. So how do we know we're getting love right? How do we know if the love that we're showing is the same which God shows us? I think the answer is pretty simple, but before I close today, I've got something to show you. So my kids and I love following this baker um, on Instagram. We, we saw her on Nailed It, I think. I think she's been on Buddy vs. Stuff, but her name is Natalie Sidesurf. She's out of Austin. She makes these really super cool, hyper-realistic cakes, um, and her cakes are so well-made and so realistic that she has to post videos of her cutting into them before you realize that they're not real and they're actually just cake. It can be a little unsettling, but they're awesome. So, I want to show you some. Let's fire that first one. What is it? What is it? What is it? Check this out. What? <laughs> I know. All right, let's go, let's go to the next one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cake. I'm not sure if they made McDonald's healthier in this case, or, or maybe less so. I'm not sure. Either way. Um, let's, let's go to the next one. Let's see what we got. All of this is edible cake stuff. Like, that one blows my mind. Like, I see the plastic, and I'm like, oh, what is going on? Okay. Ready for this one? Let's go. Kids, 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 when your parents tell you to eat vegetables, ask for this kind. Way better. 
Way better. <laughs> Parents, I'm sorry. All right, let's do the next one. What, what, what? It's cake. It's cake. None of that is lettuce. Like, none of it. She just, like, paints all this stuff. It's crazy. Okay. You ready for the unsettling part? Here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh, I know. I know. Ah! Ah! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Let's, let's, let's go to the turtle. Let's go to the turtle. Oh, no. I know. I know. I know. I know. You're like expecting him to crawl, right? But no, 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 it's just, it's like, ah, that's cake, that's cake, that's cake. All right, let's go to the last one, let's go to the last one. <laughs> it's our favorite Christmas movie hero, John McClane. Four people agree with me, that's great, that's great. All right, so, makes you a little squeamish, right? Why? Why? I think especially with the animals and the people, you're kind of expecting there to be blood. After all, it's, it's what we need to stay alive. But these are just cakes. They're not real. I'm sure they taste good, but they're a pretty poor substitute if you're looking for the real thing. The same is true with love. Real love bleeds. It costs us something. Love is a willingness to set aside what is valuable to us for the sake of others without expecting anything in return. For Jesus, it was his very life. And before you think you're completely off the hook, Scripture doesn't suggest we love any short of that, but Practically speaking, you may never find yourself in that scenario. So practically, love means setting aside your preferences for the sake of the people next to you, even if they don't ever do it back for you. Maybe you've been blessed financially, and you discover there's, there's, there's a brother or sister who's in need. Love is going to cost you something. Maybe there's somebody who has financial means but has physical needs that demand your involvement and dare I say, the use of your time. Love is going to cost you something. Now I'm probably going to step on some toes on this one, but I'm going to say it anyway because I love you. Maybe you start carrying a mask in your pocket to slip on when you run into someone else who's wearing one. Not because you agree, but for those who may be more at risk, who may have underlying health conditions or might be immune compromised, maybe love looks like meeting them where they are and masking up for a moment. Love isn't a political statement. Those rarely demand self-sacrifice. Love bleeds. Love is going to cost you something. As you step away today, I want to challenge each of you. Examine the content of your love. Look at the way you love your spouse. Look at the way you love your kids. Kids, look at the way you love your parents, the way you love your friends. 
Look at the way you love your coworkers. Look at the way you love the people in your church. Look at the way you love your servers at the restaurants after you leave. Look at the way you love the people who aren't easy to love. Look at the way you love the people who have hurt you. What's your love made of? Are you expecting something in return for the love that you have to give? Or are you sacrificing yourself so that others may know the love you've experienced through Christ? Does your love bleed? Or is it just made of cake? Let's pray. God, we thank you. First and foremost, for who you are. But God, we know that it doesn't stop there because if it did, we would never have the example of your son. You gave us a picture. You gave us evidence. You proved for us what your eternal nature looked like as you sent your son to die for us on the cross. And God, for those who may be in the room this morning and who may not have experienced that love for themselves, I ask right here in this moment that you reveal yourself to them fully, that they may know you. God, if people find themselves in that boat, I, I, I pray that you receive the love that you have to give. God, for the rest of us who, who, who know you, who have experienced that love for ourselves, God, I pray this morning that we're encouraged first and foremost by the love that you've shown us. But God, that we're challenged. We're challenged to look at the way that we love everybody around us. And we really ask, is this love costing me something? Or is it just convenient? Am I really loving because I'm sacrificing something that is valuable to me without expecting anything? Or am I kind of hoping that they, they show some love back? God, I pray that our love in some ways look foolish to the world around us. God, look foolish because people don't understand why we would extend ourselves so much knowing we're getting nothing in return. God, look a little foolish because everyone around us is defining love in a way that says we have to do this and we have to do this because it's, 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 it's what we need to get back. Or even loving ourselves in a way that says, God, it starts with us and it's in us and, and, and we don't need you as part of it. God, that's false. God, we need you. God, we need your love to abide in us and do so fully. God, so that others may see and experience not who we are, but who you are in us 
by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you make our love more and more real. Because God, I do know something. Your love is attractive. Your love is contagious. Your love doesn't stop. And so we ask by the power of your spirit that it may not stop with us either. May we forever live with an awareness and an understanding of the depth of your, of your love in our lives. May we show it too. God, I pray that you are glorified in our worship, in your word. God, and we receive whatever it is that you have for us here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.